Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to the ranks fc podcast my name is jack collins and i will be your host today we're back for another week and joining me it's a two-man show today is the one and only transfer guru mr dean jones how you doing mate yeah very good mate yeah just the two of us uh sam has been granted a day of absence um so yeah let's see what me and you can do we weren't actually planning on doing a Champions League show today, were we? We were looking at a few other topics and then we realised the Champions League starts next week and we won't have a chance to put out an episode before it all kicks off. So this is our opportunity to to kind of wrap this all up. Um, it's a bit weird the way that it's spread out because it's over the course of two weeks. So like we're literally talking about a couple of games here that are two weeks away. <laughs> so predicting them ain't the easiest, but... Um, we're we're going to try and wrap it all and, and try and give it an overarching feel and vibe as to where we think we're at as we head into this last 16. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one because normally you're looking at this and thinking there's loads of teams in fine fettle, if you will, coming into the Champions League last 16. But actually, it doesn't feel like that at all. And actually, when you're going through these, you're going problems, problems, problems problems and and that's yeah. just not where we've been for so many years in the Champions League I think it makes it incredibly exciting for this year's competition so there's plenty to get through I was a bit concerned you know with it just being two of us today and then I've seen Southampton fans on Twitter recently and everything I can see is hashtag Jones out so I, I was really <laughs> concerned that at some point I was actually going to have to do this entire podcast on my own so I'm grateful yeah. to have you with me my friend that's, yeah uh, give me sport uh, a guy I speak to him there. He uh, he's a Southampton fan, and he he said Jones out yesterday. I was like, it's a bit harsh, mate. I thought I did all right in the transfer window. Like you can't you can't break news to me in this way. Um, so I've been a bit on edge the last couple of days. I, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope, and I might be uh, on the streets soon if if things don't go well. So let's hope this podcast um, means that it goes fine, because otherwise I'll be joining Nathan Jones in the breadline. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to do this. We're going to we're going to do this in uh, two set ways. So we're going to start off. We can do the first four ties, the ones that take place next week, and then in part two, we'll do the four ties that are taking place the week after. And then in part three, we're going to be talking about our favourites for the tournament as a whole, as it stands right now. Now, obviously, there's no bracket yet. We don't know who's going to play who. So this is basically a top level line of the teams we think are in the best kind of form going into this Champions League last 16. But let's get going and let's start with PSG Bayern, which is probably the headline tie of at least the first week. At least the first week. But maybe actually, when you come to look at it, of all of these games, these are the, the two teams I think you look at and you go, okay, of all the sides in it, these are probably two of the favorites. Obviously, in kind of terms of, the way that these two sides are set up, the the players who play for them, the pedigree that lives within them. But also, I think in terms of form, whilst they're not both absolutely flying, they feel like they're in better nick than some of the other big guns that we'll come to discuss a little bit later. 
Mm. Yeah, totally. Look, these two always seem to play each other, don't they? Like it, it always seems that the um, Bayern and PSG come up against each other. I think it's four in the last six seasons they actually have come up against each other. So that's why it feels like that. Uh, obviously, they've played in the Champions League final too. Um, I feel a little bit for Bayern Munich. I mean, they had a perfect group. They were they were in a group with Inter Milan, Barcelona, and Victoria Poulsen. And they got 18 points out of 18. It couldn't have gone any better. They conceded two goals. Their reward for that is to play PSG, who absolutely messed up their qualifying campaign and came second to Benfica. And now here we are. We've got possibly the clash of the round on our hands. And so, yeah, absolutely um, no glory to come of that brilliant run from Bayern Munich. But what we have got is the glory of one of the games of the round for sure, because these are usually among the favourites when you set out at the beginning of a season. And well, it's tough to to kind of grasp exactly who is favourites here. I'll get into the reasons in a minute, but I think personally it'll be Bayern. But what do you think? How are you going to head into this game? Where's your head at? Well, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because Bayern have just come through a slightly weird run in terms of the league. Obviously, they, they went back to winning ways in both the DFB Pokal against Mainz uh, and then that game in the Bundesliga against Wolfsburg at the weekend. But before that, if I'm not mistaken, it was three one-all draws in a row since coming back from the Bundesliga's extended winter break. They drew to Leipzig in the first game back for the Bundesliga. Then they drew to Cologne at home and then they drew to Eintracht Frankfurt. And that's fine in terms of Leipzig and Frankfurt both look like very good sides who we'll both come on to discuss later on in this podcast. But hang on, the you look at the table and you go, oh, hang on, Bayern's lead has been whittled right down again to a point at the top of the Bundesliga. And now they've obviously signed Joao Cancelo, Daily Blind in this transfer window. And you're going, well, they've, they've done another load of good business just to kind of see themselves over the line in many ways. But you, you take this kind of side and you think, if you're dropping points in these games in the Bundesliga, are they quite as cohesive under Nagelsmann as maybe they have been in previous seasons? And, and perhaps the answer is no, but then you go to PSG and fine, they've extended their lead at the top of Liga to eight points now. But it's not been plain sailing for them either since they came back from, from the international break. And there's been a bit of chopping and changing for Christophe Galtier. The fact that they've switched between this kind of three at the back and four at the back system. We've had a couple of games where you're looking at the results and you're thinking that probably shouldn't be happening. It's the one nil reverse to Ren, the one all draw with Stadheim, who, to be fair, are on an absolute tear under Will Still. But you look at these and you go, maybe they're not quite as cohesive and maybe we're making the same argument as they have been in, in recent years and in recent times. And I think just... We're at a point where both of these sides don't maybe feel as infallible as they have done in PSG's case at the start of this season where they felt absolutely wonderful. I mean, that that loss to Rennes was their first league domestic loss of the season. Or Bayern, I would say, in, in, in recent years, in, in, in more kind of cohesive Bayern sides and perhaps when Robert Lewandowski was leading that line. And it leads yeah. to a really, really interesting... I probably would shade PSG. 
Well, look, I think first of all, we have to set out the fact both of these teams are actually top of the league at the moment. And that's not really the case, as you say, at the top of this. Like most teams like coming into this um, last 16 aren't actually in great form and stuff. But PSG are top of Liga, and as we record this, Bayern Munich are top of the Bundesliga. So, like, they are both in actually quite a good place as they come into the game. Um, watching PSG at the weekend, they, they beat Toulouse 2-1. Um, Mbappe's injured at the moment, so Mbappe's not around. Um, he's got an injury. Looks like he's missing a couple more weeks as well. Like, watching that game, the commentary said he's out for three weeks, and that means he's going to miss the first leg of this game. By the way, also... Everyone just remember, this is a two-legged affair. So all these games are over two legs, home and away. Um, Neymar, missing two, groin problem. Uh, Verratti was out of that game with a suspension, but Ramos was missing as well. Renato Sanchez got injured in that game, so he came out. So they've got problems. Now, the one thing I would say is Messi was good. Messi was very, very good at the weekend. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's really, really good. He's a number 10, and he kind of floats around. Good player. Won the champion. Um, uh, won, won, won the World Cup, I hear. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the lad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was he was like literally at top, walking around as he does. But he, he scored a good goal, and uh, some of the stuff he was doing in that match were were peak Messi. It was it was actually quite nice to see him playing like it actually. Um, but because of those like injuries, and if they're still going to be there for a game like this little bit concerned for PSG because I feel like being at home in the first leg is something they need to take advantage of. And I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to. I think Bayern will quite like this setup of going to the Parc de Prance first and just coming out of there alive and then winning it in the second leg. Um, they've got that pedigree too, you know, PSG constantly like, will they ever win it? Will they ever win it? Bayern don't really have that kind of pressure. That's really where my hunch comes from here. Uh, the only major flaw or concern I think I'd have with Bayern, which you don't have so much with PSG, is like, where's your actual goals coming from? Like, since Lewandowski's gone, you don't have that obvious goal source that you would have had in, in um, previous years, like Thomas Muller still being looked, um, looked too heavily. So that's probably where my main concern would come from. I just think, you know, you look at Nagelsmann's Bayern in Europe and they've stormed through the group stages, right, in the last two years in tricky groups. And they've gone, right, we're going to do this. They've come into the last 16. Now, last year, they had RB Salzburg in the last 16 and they drew the first leg one all. And if you call back to that game, they actually probably should have lost it. Now, the second leg, they won 7-1 at home, right? So this wasn't going to be an issue. But then the second, you know, they go to the quarterfinal and they come up against Villarreal. And whilst Villarreal under Unai Emery were a good side, a very good side, it was a game that Bayern would have been expected to win. They lost the first leg 1-0 away from home and they brought it back to Munich. And you're thinking, OK, Bayern are probably going to do this. And then they don't, right? They, they fall apart and Villarreal get that late goal as Bayern are pushing to not send the game into extra time. Villarreal strike and... It goes and, and buying her out. And I just have this funny feeling that in Europe, maybe the Nagelsmann effect hasn't quite worked in the knockout stages in the way that it has in domestic competition. And that's maybe why I'd edge to PSG. Now, they have their own problems in terms of formation changes and where they actually sit in terms of what is the best way for PSG to line up. I think they're best with a three at the back. 
I think that's the formation which has seen them in most control over the course of this season. But Galtier at the moment is experimenting, partly due to injuries, as you say, Sergio Ramos up, Fresno Kimpembe has been out for long periods as well. But the injuries don't worry me all that much. I mean, you look at the Mbappe one, of course, there's a massive blow. It's always going to be a massive blow when someone of the quality of Kylian Mbappe is out. But the midfield injuries, the way that they can drift in and bring in Vitinha, Fabian Ruiz, who's finally starting to show his quality in a PSG shirt, Carlos Soler, who we know has the capacity to perform in these big European ties. I just got a funny feeling that PSG edged this. And, and that's where my hunch is coming from. Well, they need to because it will be a disaster if they're out this early. The um, whole point, they keep changing managers because you're supposed to go and win the Champions League. So, um, yeah, it could be another axe, an axe wielded. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously going to be one of the games of the round. Um, but I don't know. I'm going Bayern. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going PSG. I'm sure we'll come back to these in part three yeah. when we're talking about our favourites for the actual competition as a whole. But for now, let's move on to the other game that night, which is... By the AC way, would that be Milan. your number one ranked tie of the round? Because it would be mine. It depends. It depends how you... It depends how you look at it. In terms of like, are these the two teams... One that you in, pick in that you can't miss. Four. If you could only watch one game of this last 16, is that the one you'd pick? It's obviously the the the, the proper choice, but I'd probably go Frankfurt and Napoli. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, then, then this is me. So welcome to my world. Right, from two teams who are top of their league and flying to uh, two teams who are really not and, and who have been in some trouble in recent weeks. AC Milan versus Tottenham. Now, if you'd pick this tie when it was drawn, Dean, Milan look like comfortable favourites. It's fair to say that they don't anymore. I mean, since the World Cup, they are one of the worst teams I've seen. Um, them and Liverpool will be right down there. Um, yeah, completely. Complete mess, um, terrible results, the structure. The, the, we talking on Patreon on Monday about you know what Pioli was doing against Inter Milan. They, in case you don't know, they they lost a Milan derby at the weekend. Um, they've had a couple of stuffings in the, in the weeks before that too. Confidence is on the floor. He's leaving Rafael Liao on the bench. He's overthinking things, it seems, and his job is actually being talked about as being in danger now. So that is absolutely not the case from when this draw was made, like you say. And yeah, I would have 100% said at that point that I would have fancied AC Milan. Not the case anymore. Really not the case anymore. Um, while Tottenham still have some work to do to convince us all that they are turning a corner, it does actually look like they're turning a corner. Um, okay, it doesn't help that Antonio Conte has obviously had to undergo surgery and he's got to, you know, make sure he's healthy at the moment as well as being able to help lead this team. Um, and I'm sure, you know, in, the, in an environment like the San Siro, maybe he would have loved to be back in there masterminding a big win against AC Milan, um, as you, you know, would have done in, in previous years of management. But for Tottenham here, I feel like they've got, a bit of structure now about them, a bit more confidence. They've made good signings. Harry Kane is in great form. They've got good, they've got players on the up, whereas I feel like all of Milan's players are currently falling off a cliff. They might actually be running out of the the club soon. Like it, they seem like they're in absolute disarray. 
really is a strange situation here. And it's this is an intriguing game for very different reasons to that that Bayern PSG one that we were just talking about. Yeah, I mean, we don't know if Antonio Conte is going to be back on the bench for this one. Um, obviously, we wish him all the best and we wish him a speedy recovery from his surgery. But Christian Stellini, who's Conte's right-hand man, has an absolutely unbelievable record when he's been in charge of Tottenham games. I think he might be perfect, or if not perfect, he's very close to it. When he steps up to in Conte's absence, Tottenham have undoubtedly done well. And, and that result against Manchester City at the weekend is, you know, just, just the latest in a line of, of very impressive performances. As you say, Spurs feel if not brilliant, at least settled. And I think that's important here to look at in that you, you look at the front three of Kulusevski, Son and Kane at the moment, and it feels since Kulusevski come back, they've really reignited as a trio. The midfield duo of Hoybier and Bentancur is absolutely up there with the best in Europe, I think. Um, and, and at the back, they just feel a little bit calmer than they have done. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that Tottenham are favourites for the Champions League or even among the favourites because I think there are too many weaknesses still within this side with against teams with higher kind of firepower and who will be able to take advantage of, of those defensive lapses. But all things considered, I think you'd be hard-pressed to suggest that Tottenham are not favourites for this game against AC Milan. And this, actually, DJ, is one of the things I'm interested in in terms of, obviously, we're recording a week beforehand. Mm. The managerial situation could well be different at AC Milan by the time that this game comes around. That's how toxic it feels right now under Stefano Pioli. And we're only, (laughs) what, eight months on from them winning their first Scudetto in a decade? It's all just fallen apart. Yeah, look, just to kind of put into context too, like where we're at here with Milan, like, so they were in Chelsea's group, uh, Group E in in the group. And I was actually really excited about Milan playing against Chelsea. Um, I thought that they were going to really give them a good game. And Chelsea obviously having a bad season. Chelsea beat Milan 3-0 at home and they beat Milan 2-0 away. Chelsea are not as good at the moment as Tottenham are. So there's that to take into context. And then if you actually look at the results so far, like we're just referring to like Milan's recent form I just had to get it up to make sure I was I was not doing them any disservice and I'm I'm really not like it's been really bad so start of Jan they played in the Coppa Italia round of 16 they lost 1-0 at home to Torino since then they've lost uh, the Super Coppa Italiana final they lost 3-0 to Inter since that game they lost 4-0 to Lazio they lost 5-2 to Sassuolo and then they lost 1-0 to Inter at the weekend and to be honest that should have been more than one now they've got Torino at the weekend before they host Tottenham. I mean, a lot has to change in that Torino game for me to have any faith in Milan turning this around. I think Tottenham will be so happy that this has happened to them. Like, because this is a fantastic opportunity for Tottenham to kind of jump on and make the most of. So, yeah, it's it's really difficult to have much optimism around Milan right now. I, I just can't believe we're in this situation. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. But it, it looks like a tie that Tottenham would have dreaded at the time uh, and maybe won't be dreading quite so much at this mm. point. Obviously, also, if, if Conte is back, he is a man who has managed both Inter and Juventus. You'd imagine he's not going to get the warmest of welcomes at San Siro, but we shall see. Right. Let's come on to Club Rouge versus Benfica. 
Now, Dean, at the start of the year, did you think Scott Parker would be managing in the last 16 of the Champions League? Because I can guarantee you that I didn't. No, and I'm not sure I will be by the end of this year either, to be honest, uh, on the way things are going. But you, you can dress this up for me. But I, know, I don't know the full story about how Scott Parker's doing at, at Club Rouge. But yes, it did catch me by surprise. No, I'm not surprised that it's not gone brilliantly so far. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It's it's been very very bad. Let, let's put it this way: he's got one win in six, and he has done a very Scott Parker thing in that he hasn't lost all that much. He's only lost one in six, but he has drawn the other four. And Club Bruges are now twenty one points off top spot in the Jupiler League, which is well not something that you would have expected at this point in the season. There's been some pretty mm. damning comments about it from uh we've been seeing some some things and this is from hln uh, and there was a former belgian international talk to them mark de grice who said parker keeps looking for solutions he again made five substitutions that i don't understand at all noah lang didn't do bad as a false nine but if he drops back and asks for the ball you have no one in attack anymore but i would say look scott parker had one thing in his he could always coach a defense but apparently not because you, you see these kind of comments on, on sports, sir, where it was the club Bruges defense resembles a Rubik's cube. Parker keeps shifting and turning and the choices are always wrong. Um, the mm. mistakes piled up, the wrong choices were also made offensively. There are players in this team like Rafael Onyadika, who was absolutely sensational at the start of this season, who looks like he's, he's very confused. But people are very, very unhappy with Scott Parker, his performances, and, and actually what he's getting out of what should be one of the big guns in Belgium, one of the teams who are expected to go and challenge for the title every single year. They made this change, they brought him in, and ultimately it just has not worked in the way that they would have hoped. Now you go to Benfica, and obviously it's been a bit of time of upheaval at Benfica. Obviously, they have they have lost Enzo Fernandez in a protracted saga with Chelsea. Um, and they had a pretty tough straight game back when they came back from the international break. They got absolutely battered away to Braga. And everyone was like, oh, no, is this lead at the top of the Primeira that looked unassailable? Is it still going to be something that they can do? They've bounced back really nicely from that. They've won six of their last seven in, in January and February. Uh, the only one that they haven't won was a two-all draw against Sporting, which was one of my favourite games that I've watched this season. Uh, Chiquinho's come in recently to replace Enzo Fernandez in the middle of the park. They played really well on the weekend. They beat Casapia 3-0 at home. Uh, and they've scored 17 goals in seven games. Since since the turn of, of January. So Benfica, who were at one point looking a little bit shaky uh, and there were definitely questions asked, feel like they're right back at where they needed to be. And people are stepping up again. Joao Mario is having a fantastic season. Uh, Gonzalo Kedge came in and he played up front recently, which I thought was slightly different, if you will, considering the amount of actual out-and-out -out strikers uh, that Roger Schmidt has at his disposal. But there are some really, really good players in this team. I really like Arsenez. Uh, I really like Joao Neves. Um, I really like Julian Draxter again, which is nice. It's, the thing with Draxter is that he's had so many years where you're like, what are you doing? Like, where are you? And suddenly he's come back in and I'm like, oh, it's nice to see Draxler looking like he's having fun again. He looks like he's enjoying mm. himself again. And I, I think that's important. But you generally look at this team and you're going, 
yeah, okay. I, I, I think that there's there's plenty to like in this Benfica side. And against a Parker Club Bruges side, I can't see anything but a relatively convincing Benfica thumping here as, as far as I'm concerned. Blimey. Um, look, I've, I'm stunned that we're actually going to see Scott Parker managing in the Champions League, obviously, especially a team which, which he came into knowing nothing about. He didn't understand the detailing around actual players he was taking over. I don't think he understood much about the league he was coming into. I think he was also quite open about that. I read a couple of interviews and the people asked him if he understood the playoff system that they have in the league. And he basically said, no, I'm sure I can get my head around it quite quickly. Um, I mean, that's also Bruges, fair. It's not, it's not that complicated. No, no, totally. But there, there was... There's all, but if that's the point you're coming from, where you admit you don't understand the league structure and you don't know any details about the players that you're taking over, I know how I would feel if Fulham were appointing a manager like that. So I can completely understand why any Club Bruges supporter is very sceptical of Scott Parker coming in and taking over their team. I don't really understand why they've done it. Um, look, Benfica... I haven't seen a lot of this season, but from studying their results, from the bits I have seen, from listening to you and Sam when you talk about what you get from this team, I just, it almost looks like the most guaranteed team to progress from this this phase. I, I really cannot see. This is a team that finished top of Group H ahead of PSG and Juventus. And that is a, they, they scored 16 goals in that group as well. And you're up against a team here in Club Bruges who finished second in their group behind FC Porto, um, who are fourth in the Belgian Pro League right now. I, honestly, I, I, I'm a bit like Scott Parker here, even though I don't know a lot about the Bruges players, apart from obvious people like Noah Lang. I can't see them, them winning this because I know that Scott Parker won't be able to optimise the quality of Noah Lang. Like, I've watched... I liked Scott Parker a lot. Like, I knew him a little bit. I spoke to him several times. I thought he did a reasonably good job to turn around the mess that Fulham were in. But he's too negative. And he's... You know, Noah Lang is such a talent. Yeah. I'm, I don't, almost don't want to watch this game because I don't want to see what he's done to him. I don't, I don't want to see how this game's going to play out. Um, I imagine he's going to like play to not lose. And I don't think you can do that against this Benfica team, can you? I don't think so. I, I think that Roger Schmidt's Benfica are going to have just way too much for Club Brugge. And I think that Roger Schmidt's Benfica won't be scared of many teams in this competition, mm. considering the form that a lot of teams are in and considering yeah. what they did in the group stages to, to, you know, to top that group, including PSG and Juventus, why would they, why would they fear anyone? I think at this point, and, and, and that's a cool place to be in if you, if you are Benfica. So yeah, I think this yeah. one might be a little bit one sided, but then again, it's the champions league. Who knows? Right. Let's finish this week's <laughs> fixtures with Borussia Dortmund against Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea are a little bit all over the place, Dean. Borussia Dortmund feel like they're moving in the right direction. It might be a little bit chaotic as usual, but results are taking a turn for the better. They've moved up in the Bundesliga table to a couple of points off Bayern and into striking distance. And Eden Terzic seems like he's got everybody pulling in the same direction, which is no mean fee at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the same old problems apply in that they'll they'll be 
uh, brain farts in that defense and they they will make mistakes and they will switch off um and you can you can catch them unaware uh, there's always that that you can prey on in this Dortmund team but I have watched a fair bit of them since um the return to action and they do seem like a team that has turned the corner a bit they seem to have a bit of confidence about them at the moment um they certainly have are creating chances it's not always wholly convincing i'm trying to remember, i think it was the minds game just looking at their fixtures and trying to remember which one it was when they were they've got so many attacking options basically that they they haven't really had time to gel yeah in that game i, I think i talked about on patreon when they had uh marlon um Okoko, brandt addy amy all all in attack and it didn't really work, but then they were able to change it all and bring on Jamie Bino-Gittens, uh, Seb Allaire and Gio Reyna, and they, and they got over the line. Now, look, at the weekend, they had a really big um, win over Freiburg, and great news, Seb Allaire has scored here. Like, what a moment in football. Like, we didn't actually really Incredible, um, wasn't touch it? on this we didn't the other do day. Things we, we also didn't do things we love today, but this We didn't do things we love, but this is a thing that everyone in football should love. Obviously, I'm sure you all know the story. Seb Allaire had his own cancer battle over the past year or so. And, you know, to get his way back even to playing football again so quickly, it seems, is unbelievable. But he's now like... He's playing and scoring goals. Like that was an unbelievable moment for him to get a goal um, in that fixture. Dortmund are are really, really impressive in terms of the depth chart that they've got in attacking positions. Obviously, they've got Jude Bellingham too, a player that, that Chelsea actually like themselves and have an eye on with the potential to, to try and to sign. This is a really interesting game, especially this away leg and just what happens because if Chelsea lose by a couple of goals, I can't see him overturning it. I really can't. Uh, I know a few people who are Chelsea fans who also are going to this game saying, I've got to go to Dortmund. It might be the last time I see Chelsea in the Champions League for a few years, which um, is probably a bit over the top. But given their league position right now, Chelsea are 10th. They don't have any identity right now. Um, I can kind of understand it. Obviously, they've made a lot of signings. Their squad now looks very different to it did in the group stages when they did win Group E. Um, they won four of their six games. But they've signed so many players, they can't even register them all for the Champions League. So Badia Shile, who was pretty much their best player against Fulham, I thought, the other day. He's not yeah. even available for selection. And I'd say they actually would really need him for a game like this one against Dortmund, who can be just so difficult to stop because the kind of interactions, basically, between the front four are just rapid at times. When they break away, they really, really break away. And when Jude Bellingham carries that ball forward too, and those three or four ahead of him are swapping positions, it's quite terrifying. So this goes... I've got two theories here. One is that Chelsea disappear without trace and I think they could really struggle. But then I remember this is Chelsea. And when Chelsea are successful in the Champions League, it's usually when you least it's expect when they're having it. Dre- it's when they're having dreadful league seasons, yeah. It is. So Chelsea will probably win the Champions League this season. That's, that's the problem here for me. And they haven't got anything else to play for, really. They could put everything into the Champions League 
and think like, look, we win the Champions League. It means we're back in it next season. It's the, it's the only way. And we might even knock Tottenham out of the Champions League positions and they don't get to go into it. So there's that little narrative in the background too. I'm not sure they, they can do that because they don't have a proper goal outlet and this, this whole number nine Havertz thing is still a bit of a concern. But yeah, that does niggle away at the brain. The logic in me tells me that Dortmund win this tie over two legs. I don't normally side with Dortmund because I don't usually trust them. But Chelsea have got so many issues. And even though they have got players coming back from fitness, and certainly for the second leg, they'll have a lot more players to choose from for Graham Potter. It brings its own problems because you've got, you've got selection yeah. dilemmas about who you're actually going to start leaving out of this side. I'm, I've just got a feeling that Chelsea are going to get better across the course of this season. And if they improve, well, that is true, but if they improve... And the you know the new players start to gel. They get those moments where it hasn't looked as as clean, you know, as as it has done. And, and there were moments against Fulham where Enzo Fernandez looked excellent, where Noni Madueke looked like he had the spark. Even David Fofana had his moments. And if you can suddenly get this to gel, and and, and the big question is, are they going to get someone in midfield back again in time for this game in order to partner Enzo that he can do the right things? And, and get further up the pitch and start to affect play in the areas that we saw him affect play in the World Cup and in the Champions League group stages for Benfica. So if Zachariah's yeah. back, I'm going, maybe. Maybe Chelsea can actually get a moment here that, that actually allows them to, to kick on this yeah. competition. And if you're playing anyone who has the propensity to collapse defensively, you'd fancy it to be Borussia Dortmund and Stottenbeck yeah. and Sula, right? Like, who have been better in recent weeks, but still have those lapses of concentration definitely in the locker. So that that's where I'm at. I, I, we, it's a hard one to judge a week out because, yeah. you know, Chelsea could improve slowly over the next weeks. And I think that they will. My, I'm with you. My head says Borussia Dortmund win this tie considering where Chelsea are at. But I've just got a feeling. I've got a feeling that it's not going to be as simple as that. So it is one yeah. of those where I'm going to sit proverbially on the fence. Um, I mean, and, and that's the how thing is, roll. like, for, <laughs> just looking at Dortmund's recent results, they scored five against Freiburg. Um, they beat Leverkusen 2-0, which was a good win. They beat Mainz 2-1, which they really had to work for. And they, they scored four against Augsburg, and they scored five against Dusseldorf. Like, they, they're really, really... Um, it's goals galore. Let's say that. It's goals galore over at Dortmund at the moment. It's the complete opposite for Chelsea. So... I just feel like if Chelsea can come out of that first leg within a goal, I think they'll probably be all right and they'll probably manage to turn it around at home by the time they've got you know, more players available and this team's had a bit more time to gel. If Dortmund managed to have a two-goal advantage coming out of if that they first go one, tear, yeah. I, think, I think they go and do it, yeah. Okay, all right. right. Well, that's the first week of Champions League ties all wrapped up. After the break, we'll be going to the ties the week after. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. Jack and Dean here walking you through the last 16 of the Champions League. And we're going to move into the second week of fixtures, starting, Dean, with a replay of last season's final Liverpool versus Real Madrid. We talk about headline ties. We talked about PSG Bayern, which was a final a couple of years ago. This yeah. was last year's final. And what a strange place. 
both of these teams find themselves in right now? They do find themselves in a strange place, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I think Real Madrid um, found that final last time out easier than they actually expected. I think Carlo Ancelotti even admitted that afterwards, that um, it was actually okay, the way that they managed to manage that game, if you like. Um, I like that we actually have a matchup now between these two teams that isn't a final. They've played each other in a couple of finals. To see them over two legs, home and away, to see the force of Anfield, the force of the Bernabeu in play, I like that. That's something different that we're seeing here from when we've usually seen these teams up against uh, each other. Obviously, both have unbelievable heritage in this competition. Madrid have the edge, but still, um, you know, Liverpool feel like they play a special part in in the history of the Champions League. And they do, they're right. Um, especially, you know, go back to the European Cup and stuff. Like this is this is something that is deeply entwined in the history of Liverpool. But this is Real Madrid. And given where Liverpool are right now, it's really still hard to see how they will manage to beat Real Madrid, even when Madrid aren't on top of their game. Liverpool finished second in their Champions League group. Um, they were behind Napoli. That's not really um, a knock on anyone, given the way Napoli have been this season. But still, they they didn't win a group that they were largely expected to win. Napoli, Ajax, Rangers didn't win the group, came second. So I don't think that's uh, a great start. Real Madrid did win their group, only by point over over RB Leipzig. Um, It was a pretty straightforward group beyond that, to be honest. They had Shakhtar and Celtic in their group. So no real major tests um, for either team. Um, coming into this on Champions League-wise. But then you look at it domestically, I mean, Liverpool are just an absolute shambles. Um, I, I just find them so hard to get my head around in terms of what has actually happened to this team. It is catastrophic, the decline of this club um, in a, such a short space of time. I just cannot believe that it's been able to come to this. I'm just trying to open up a message um, that I received yesterday. And I think it sums up really well where we've got to with Liverpool. Um, he's done the round. You've probably seen it on social. But it was it was Klopp excuses, 22-23. Fulham away, pitch was too dry. Crystal Palace home, which uh, Man United, uh, time ran out. Everton away, uh, we've been playing too many games. Six games into the season, that was. Uh, Napoli away, two unlucky penalties. They lost 4-1. Brighton at home, didn't know what Brighton would do here. Uh, Arsenal blame VAR. Forrest said there were too many fixtures. Leeds, too many injuries. Uh, City said Harlem was offside, wasn't. Um, There's loads of things. Wolves said there was a lucky moment. They lost the game 3-0. Brighton blamed injuries. Like, it's a bit of a joke. It's a bit of a meme, but it's also, like, not far from the truth. Like, Klopp has kind of lost the plot this season. I think it was epitomised by the fact that he singled out James Pierce of The Athletic in his press conference the other day and started having a dig at him and refused to answer his question, but said he would answer it from somebody else. This is a reporter that has covered Klopp extensively throughout his entire time at Liverpool, has covered all of the glory. He's been very, very fair throughout his time. And it's not... If James Pierce is suddenly like, well, what's happening here, Jürgen? Like, how has it come to this? He's perfectly within his rights to, to ask that question because from the outside, we don't understand. Not only are they, have you got injuries, we get that part. How are the rest of your team underperforming so 
so incredibly like Klopp, it's just look, Klopp is Klopp is flailing around at the moment and because he obviously is looking at this and being like where where have my team gone I can't see the team that I built uh, and I think that that's part of it there are obviously parts of these excuses that you look at and it will become a meme and it's been one of those things we talked about it on Monday that Klopp is a serial winner and therefore a bad loser. It's not a trait unique to him. I think Sam said it was the same of uh, of Pep Guardiola. It's the same uh, of Eric Ten Hag. T- people who are this focused on winning don't take losing badly. Uh, don't take losing well. They're, they're not. They're not seeing it go. Oh, this is this is exactly fine. And yes, Klopp probably flails more than most. Right. I think that's fair to say. But generally, I think when you're looking at the, these things. You, you know, I'm not looking at a man who I'm like, oh, you're you're trying to find ways out. I'm looking at him going, I don't know what to say. And and that's a strange position to find himself in. He can't be looking at the performance at the weekend and going, well, the reason we lost is because Wolves had one attack in the second half. It, the reason they lost is because they were just incredibly easy to play through in both central midfield and central defence. But I think generally Klopp will be looking at that and going, I don't recognise the team that is playing in front of me. And that's a pretty terrifying thing for a manager, isn't it? You know, you're looking at and going, how do you get out the other side of this without a full squad refresh in the summer? And are Liverpool going to have the finances available to do that? We don't know yet. And and I think it leaves everyone in a really quite tricky position here. Um, it just feels like Liverpool are burnt out. And the emotional toll of last season and coming so close to that quadruple, you know, the emotional, the, the physical toll of playing that many games... All of it coming together without, you know, significant new faces in the areas where Liverpool needed the most, I think has left them in a situation where it's very hard to pick up the pieces until the summer. It's almost like get to the end of this season and refresh. But just like Chelsea, Liverpool's ability to just make things happen in knockout competitions remains pretty sensational. And that's why we'll never write them off in a tie like this. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I wouldn't normally write them off either. I think I'm going to. I honestly think I'm going to. As we sit here right now, I mean, this game is is to be played um, in a couple of weeks' time, like literally for two weeks from the moment we're sat here talking. And, and a lot could change in that time. I mean, Liverpool have got um, games against Everton and Newcastle. I mean, Real Madrid are on their way to the, the Club World Cup. Like, they've got, <laughs> they've got quite a bit of action to take uh, place here before they, they still have... Uh, that and, and then two league fixtures to to carry out before they even get to focusing on this Liverpool first leg. So that's a lot to bear in mind. And for Madrid, you know, you've got like Benzema's not been available right now. Doesn't look like they're going to rush him back for those Club World Cup games, but you never know, he might feature. Uh, will he be available for the time he is? Has he not even travelled in the end? I know there was talk about whether he would. Um, and I don't think they've Benzema either, but there's bigger injuries as well in Militao. Mondi and, you know, Lucas Vasquez, who isn't, you know, maybe the, the most obvious player to be like, oh, he's injured. But actually giving right back cover for Danny Carvajal, I think he's actually become quite important to this Real Madrid squad in terms of rotation. And all of those being injured without any kind of expected return dates being obvious on the table, it's not pretty. And you actually double that down on Real Madrid's form this season, right? First 11 games. Real Madrid picked up 31 points from 33. They drew one game in the first 11 and won the other 10. Since then, in the nine games following that, they have won four, drawn two, 
and and lost three. It, it's suddenly been like, oh, hang on. Real Madrid's form has kind of dropped off a cliff a little bit. And and then you can see that by the fact that Barcelona are eight points clear at the top of La Liga all of a sudden. You know, they lost 1-0 to, to Mallorca at the weekend. You look at the team that actually played, the rotations in it. Nacho played centre-back, scored an own goal. Um, Camavinga played left-back. The midfield three was Ceballos, Chiromeni, Valverde, both Kroos and Modric on the bench. Alaba came off the bench, obviously coming back himself. Asensio, Vinicius and Rodrigo as the front three. This is not the Real Madrid side that we know. And look, as you say, it might be different by the time it comes back round. But at the moment, this is a team that is not playing the way that we expect it to. And Liverpool have to take heart from that. They do. But Liverpool's form and so far this calendar year is the worst worse, in the yeah. Premier League. They are literally the worst team in the Premier League on form right now as we sit here. So they are in actual crisis. Like Ev, oh, I'm trying to think of a player that's not out of form. I'm sure I can. There's no one that's jumping yeah, it, out at me. It's, it's, it, yeah. it's got that bad. Like there were there've been oh, a yeah, few. Yeah. You're thinking, oh, <laughs> mate, like it might still be Harvey Elliott keeping keeping hope alive. Um, but there's been. There's just been no uplift and it's hugely worrying um, if you're a Liverpool fan as to how this this season ends up playing out. Again, I talk about Chelsea, obviously, and the fact that winning the Champions League can save their season. Um, this obviously the same for Liverpool. So it's, it's the same rules apply. Um, I think I said Chelsea were 10th earlier. They're, they're not, obviously. They're 9th and Liverpool are 10th. But that's crazy in itself. Like those both teams underperforming massively, yet it still feels like Liverpool, for some reason, it feels like Liverpool are much worse than Chelsea to me. It just feels like maybe it's because they've had a harder fall. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that we had such high expectations of Liverpool that they've just properly crashed down, whereas Chelsea, we knew there was going to be. Um, some problems this season anyway, as they got to grips with all the changes that were being made. But I couldn't tell you anything positive about Liverpool going into this game beyond the fact that typically in the competition they do well and Anfield is usually a place that helps them pull off big results. Player for player, there's no one here that I could dig out and say, yep, he will stand up for this match and he'll he'll dig out a performance. I'm not going to say that about Darwin Nunez. I'm not going to say it about Salah. I'm not going to say it about Thiago. I'm not going to... There's no one. Trent, whoever it is, I'm looking at him like, don't trust him. Like, just can't rely on these people right now. It's a crazy place to be in. And it'll be interesting to see just how they do approach this game, whether they're cagey in it or whether they do actually try and... You know, obviously they're going to try and win, but what they can take away from the first leg to go into the burnabout, because I'm pretty sure they're going to feel like they need to go in there with the lead. I can't see that this Liverpool team feel like they could go on even terms to the burnabout for a Champions League second leg knockout game and expect to come out alive. I don't think that's going to be the case. They've got to, they've got to win this first leg. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think that's the the only hope in this one, although again, it's Liverpool in the Champions League and weirder things have 
happened. Uh, right, let's come on. Yeah, I'm trying to push that to... out of my head. I'm trying to push that out of my head. I know, I know. Logic doesn't dictate, but logic sometimes has to not dictate in knockout competitions. Yeah. These are the ways of the world. Right, let's come on to Ajax Frankfurt against Napoli, which is probably my favourite tie of the round, I think. <laughs> this is the one that I'm looking at and going, yeah, this is the one I'm excited about. And it's not just because of Napoli, which is nice, uh, because Eintracht have... Well, rejuvenated themselves, I think, in in, in so many ways. Obviously, they had um, their their go and they came second in their group behind Tottenham. Um, There were some very impressive performances in there to get ahead of Sporting and Marseille. I think it was the most even group of all of the Champions League groups. There was no obvious weak link in it. Uh, There was also no obvious absolute standout side in it either. So this was a, a fun group and Eintracht came out of it in second place. We know that they have pedigree in Europe. They are the current holders of the Europa League and they're a team who have been very, very impressive in their own right. Uh, their fan base is incredible. So is Napoli's. This is a game where you expect it to be absolutely electric in both legs. And, and I think that makes for fun circumstances. We know a lot about Napoli. A lot has been made of their season. They are exceptional. They are glorious fun. They are steaming away at the top of Serie A, helped uh, by Milan's crumbling and Juventus having an absolute points deduction. But here we are. You look at all of these bits and bobs, but Frankfurt are famous upsetters of the apple cart, if you will. They're a team that knows exactly how to look at a favourite in the eye. They came up against Barcelona in the middle of of that Europa League run and they went, yeah, all right, go on then. Went to the Camp Nou, took over, brought fans from everywhere. There were Frankfurt fans in all the home areas uh, and they absolutely spoiled the party of what had been the Xavi Renaissance up to that point. Uh, Completely threw all of those plans in the bin uh, and then went on to lift the trophy. And I think when you look at actually how these sides have come up and, and how they've been playing of late, you know, they've got that one or draw away at Bayern Munich. Um, they went to Freiburg and drew, which isn't a great result, but Freiburg were second, third in the Bundesliga table at that point. They beat Hertha 3 0, they beat Schalke 3 0. So since coming back from the break, Frankfurt are unbeaten. They've scored a lot of goals uh, and they've gone away from home and ground out results. And actually, I think that's probably the blueprint, right? Go away from home, try and ground out a draw, bring them back home and and, and absolutely win the tie on your own patch. So I expect Mm -hmm. Andrak to come out absolutely steaming in this first game. I expect them to come out flying out of the traps uh, and try and pin Napoli back because if you let Napoli run at you, you're going to be torn apart. This side is so good. Um, and we've always spoke at length about the ability of Skelia, uh, of Osimen, uh, the fact that Lobotka has had his renaissance as the kind of middle man in this, holding down the fort from, from the deepest point in midfield and just keeping everything ticking like the metronome. It's a team that knows everything about itself. It is very comfortable in itself at the moment. Uh, and they are rightfully major favourites for this clash. But I just have an eye on that Frankfurt being like, uh-uh, we, we don't do favourites here. We, we are famous for breaking hearts of big teams who fancy themselves going a little bit far for, for ending the fairy tale. Uh, and I think that is what makes this such an exciting game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, Napoli have to be favourites. I mean, given everything they've done so far in the Champions League and domestically, like they've been, they've been brilliant. Um, I've been sceptical of it coming 
through the season, waiting for them to slip up, but there's no sign of it. So fair play. Um, and I guess my concern on the Champions League would be they are now in such a strong position in Serie A. Is it strong enough that they can actually like focus on both or are they still going to be absolutely like we cannot let this slip in the league that something like this does slip? That's probably the only cause for concern I'd have because yeah. otherwise they win. They win this game. They are the better team. They're probably the best team in Europe at the moment. Like... They should probably be favourites to win the Champions League right now. But they're not, we'll and there that. are reasons for that. Yeah, but there are reasons for that. But, um, yeah, you're right. Frankfurt in his first leg are going to give it everything. Their support is unbelievable. We've both seen them before. Like, they are ultra, ultra loyal, um, so noisy. And it will count for something in that first leg. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get the lead that they definitely need going into that second leg. I'm still going to back Napoli, but there is reason to be cautious. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I too am going to back Napoli in this one, but I, I think the upset is probably closer than most people will have it on their cards, if you will. You know, mm. the, the history suggests that upsets are very possible when Eintracht are in town. So uh, I wouldn't be writing them off is my thing, but I think Napoli are rightly favourites and will be rightly favourites in pretty much every game they played this season until uh, until we're proved otherwise. So it's going to be mm. a cracking tie. What a day that is. Liverpool, Real Madrid, Frankfurt, Napoli. That is a cracking game, a uh, cracking day of football. Right, let's move on to the final two games uh, and we'll start with Inter versus Porto. Another one nicely balanced this, Dean. I, I like this tie. And I think, you know, when you looked at it beforehand, Porto were kind of struggling a little bit in the league. Uh, they were well off the pace in terms of where Benfica were at one point. Uh, and Inter didn't look great in the first half of this season either. Since the break, Inter have looked absolutely phenomenal. And Porto have been on a little mini tear of their own. They're now, you know, they're still a fair bit off. Benfica, but they have a game in hand in the Primeira and they will be looking upwards considering their recent form and thinking we can catch this lot. They've just sold their best centre midfielder. And I think it leads to this tie. Porto have been brilliant in Europe for, for quite a long time now. They are one of those sides you're like, I just don't want to play them. They've been often beaten by better teams, but not by big margins. Um, they never give up in these games and they have the capacity to spring shocks, especially against teams who I would say are around the same caliber as them. And this is a nicely balanced game where Porto will be looking at it and going, we're at home second leg. We know what we have the capability to do at the Dragao. And Inter will be looking at it and going, we can beat Porto. And I think that all of those things coming together is like hmm, a very intriguing one. Definitely, yeah. I mean, Porto's form is is really, really impressive. They've only lost one game um, since September. So in the Champions League, they did actually suffer a 4-0 defeat to Club Bruges, which was a bit of a battering, especially at home. But um, that it's no good for, for morale. But ultimately, I think they were um, you know, reasonably uh, comfortable generally, apart from that, in, in the competition anyway. So it was okay. Um, and then the other, the other defeat that they, they suffer is, is to Benfica, 1-0. But apart from that, you're looking at the form that they've managed to put together, both before and after the World Cup, and it's really, really impressive. And you're right, it's the consistency with which they manage to perform every single year in the Champions League that that does 
wonder if they can actually pull this off. I was watching Inter at the weekend against AC Milan. I was thinking this team has like properly got all the ingredients to go on a real good run from here to the end of the season. Like they've come to life. Lautaro Martinez is looking really hungry, really good too, and sharp. And they've the teeing. It's kind of like the the pattern of play, if you like, is it's just all coming together at the right time for them to have a good run. The thing is with Inter Milan, like they haven't actually got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League for a long time now. Um, you have to go all the way back to 2011, the last time that Inter Milan got to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. So they've got a lot of time to make up for here. And that's, that's something that's going to be on their minds coming into this game. They need to start getting back to that, that level and that record of being consistently punching to try and compete for this trophy because while they've been in the competition they've been they've been nowhere men like in recent seasons you know last, um last season around the 16 they were beaten by liverpool um the three seasons before that they didn't get out of their group so you're going back a long way here and they've obviously got a long history in the competition of of doing well they've been in finals they've been in around those moments not not in recent memory like not in recent memory at all and i think that that's what they're fighting for here yes they're improving domestically but i think it will mean a lot to them to get through here i just don't think they're going to do it i think that this porto team because of the way that they're built and the way that they approach games like this I don't think it will go into his way. I think they'll make that first leg so difficult for them and then they'll catch them out in the second leg. On paper, as I was looking at this game for the first time, I was like, oh, this will be an Inter win. And then the more I looked into it, the more I thought about it, I was like, no, Porto will get through this. Porto are going to do it. The grizzled spine of this Porto team, you know, Pepper, <laughs> Ivan Marcano, Gruich in a rebay in centre midfield. They're like, you are not coming through here. It's such an idea. And yeah. then Diego Costa, who's obviously one of the best young goalkeepers. I mean, I was going to say in Europe, but frankly, in the world. It is really interesting the way this side set up because the creativity comes from like very obvious places and yet it's very hard to stop. The front two of Taremi and Evan Nielsen are, are excellent. They work beautifully in tandem with each other. And then you're looking at your wingers to, you know, to, to deliver and make things happen. And it took a while for Wenderson Galeno to get going in his Porto career. He was obviously brought back to the club to replace Luis Diaz when he went off to Liverpool. Um, but he's finally started to find his feet, I think. And then actually when, when he's on form, he's very difficult to stop. And then you get to Taremi and Evan Nielsen and they just tend to find a way. And I think what's so impressive about this Porto side is they lose key players, right? They lose players who are absolutely intrinsic to the way that they played last year. Luis Diaz, fine. Fabio Vieira, who's obviously gone off to Arsenal. You look at Vitinha, who went to PSG. And then you're going, right, okay, so where's creativity coming from? And it just they just keep coming. They just keep finding players. They keep finding ways to make it work. Uh, and I've got nothing but respect for the way that this Porto side operates. So I think you're absolutely right. I, I actually would probably edge to Inter um, because they feel like they're on the, the right kind of track to get things going. And I think that they can find solutions. As long as Barella keeps playing the way he is, Inter will find solutions. But this is by no means easy. Uh, and we're talking about another of these games that is just beautifully matched. Uh, and they're not because both teams are out of form for once, but actually because both teams are in form. And, and I think that's a nice place to be for this one. So, yeah, I, I'd mm -hmm. agree. But I, I'm going to edge edge just about 
to Inter, which takes us on to our last game, Leipzig against Manchester City. Been a tough week for City, Boom, with the mm. announcement of the sanctions and, well, not sanctions, but the announcement of the, the charges brought against them and potential sanctions that they might have to face. Is that going to be a lot of background noise or can City kind of put that to one side and go, right, if we're going to win something, it might actually take a while for us to get back to these positions if these sanctions are upheld. Do we need to win the Champions League this year? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, look, as players, you're you're just set apart from that. Like that is a club issue. Guardiola himself has said like he has been assured that there's nothing to worry about. Like he's had those conversations before. He said, don't lie to me. Be honest with me. I need to know what I'm dealing with here. I will defend us. Um, I just need to know that I am defending the truth. And so he will have told his players that message. Um, they will have been addressed too at the training ground um, as to what the situation is and how they need to deal with it. But look, basically, they they have to focus on on matters on the pitch. That's all that they can control. And yeah, this is potentially the, the last time they can get their hands uh, on this trophy as a group. Um, whatever happens beyond this season, even if they aren't hit by this, I can see a, a mini overhaul at Man City coming. I think that there are, are plenty of reasons to see why that might be necessary. Um, one, internally, but two, externally too, because there are improvements in other teams that mean that Man City are going to have to evolve quicker than they probably expected. And, you know, allowing players like Jao Cancelo to leave temporarily, which will lead to permanently, I'm sure, um, gives you questions to answer in the future. They'll also have... They always look to make one significant signing. I, I think this could still be in the conversation for a player like Jude Bellingham or Declan Rice. There's going to be a lot to deal with as well as as what Pep's making of the whole setup. Um, Leipzig's a really difficult game for Man City and they've got to be careful how they manage this one because this is a, this is a club that obviously we all know bring through talent that everybody ends up snapping up. Um, and given that, like they they want to perform when given a platform like this. Um, in last season's group stage, Man City uh, did beat them. I think it was six three in the end. Um, and Kuku scored a hat trick. And Kuku scored a hat trick. Yeah, he scored a hat trick for Leipzig, but they lost six three. Um, but yeah, I think Leipzig won the other game two one. So. It's it's not it going to be rubber, an easy... though, with a lot of changes. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't matter too much. But there's players in that Leipzig team, like you know, we've all heard plenty about Gavardiol and the attention on, you know, big clubs trying to sign him um, at the end of this season. Soboslai is coming back onto the radar now. Like he's finding form again. It's been a long time yeah. since he's been fully fit he's, and in he's form. Been really it looks impressive. Like, it looks like he's got both those things. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't. I haven't seen major headlines around him recently but I'm kind of waiting for them because I've watched um I'll be Leipzig twice in the last few weeks and both games it looked like he was back and I was like this is what you want to see if you're Leipzig and you're going into a game like this because he could be that difference maker obviously they got like Timo Werner and stuff like it's a very different system and I'm sure that part of him will want to make an impact against an English club just to to show people that like he isn't the flop that we all think he was. Um, well, Pep loved him. Do you remember Pep? Pep talked so much about the fact that he loved what Timo Werner brought to a team. It, it was like yeah. one of those 
things that everyone else would be going off. And Pep would be like, nah, nah, you're all just reading that guy wrong. He's actually really useful. And, and yeah, I'm actually Pep watches Pep football as differently usual. to us. Yeah. yeah, he watches football very differently to us. And uh, he, he has been overcomplicating things, right? However you want to defend Pep, however you want to dress him up, that's fine. Like, he's obviously a football genius. I'm, I'm not going to argue that fact. But at the weekend, the changes that he made to Man City's team against Tottenham just didn't seem wise. They just seemed like changes that were not going to help the team get the result they needed. Leaving Kevin De Bruyne out of any lineup, if there's no injury or problem involved, just seems like a bad idea. And I think that the main the main issue has to be like, how do we get if Holland is going to be like the main goal scorer for this team and they are now just going to have one guy that eats up the majority of chances rather than sharing them around, that's fine, as long as you're consistently doing it. And Holland's not doing it like on the weekly basis. He's he's having like feast or famine, basically. It's like he's getting everything, he's eating all the chances up and getting hat tricks, or he's barely getting seen. At the Tottenham game at the weekend, you barely saw him. The service wasn't there. wasn't getting the balls in the area he wanted. Tottenham did a really good job on limiting how he could get the ball. Clubs are going to work on that. There's enough enough tape now of this City team with Haaland that you can go back through and see the success stories of when Haaland's had his quiet days to try to come up with a plan of how you can limit the service to him too. Obviously, you need to try and make the most of playing Man City on your own turf. Um, I think that that's going to be the key to this. It wouldn't surprise me if Leipzig win the first leg. I'm not saying that, I'm not sure if they can do this over two games because to beat Man City over two games is a really tough task, especially when there's a bit of fire in the belly. That's the other thing that this um, potential sanction will bring to, to Man City. Like, They've now got even more motivation. It's like that, you know, the whole world's against you feeling. They will have a bit of that because it probably does feel like that when you're Man City and you're constantly having to prove that there aren't financial irregularities going on inside the club and you're trying to prove that you can win the Champions League and you can win on all fronts and that Pep is a genius and that you are one of the best players in the world. All these different things. But... Leipzig can also play on the flaws of this team right now. And I think that there are one or two that Leipzig have the potential to do that because of the players that they got uh, within the setup. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a high scorer, but I think City come out the right end of it. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah. Leipzig are missing their first choice goalkeeper. Galashi got injured. Um, and Janis Blaswich has come in. He played for Borussia Mönchengladbach's second team. And then Heracles Almelo in the Eredivisie for a couple of years. He's brought back in his backup and now he's being chucked in at the deep end. And you know what? He's done okay, but I don't know how strong he can be against the likes of an Erling Haaland and a Kevin De Bruyne, who I assume is going to come back into the side. Um, Mm. You look at the rest of the team and the attacking front four, and even without Nkungu, someone's like Olmo, Werner and Silva is is great vibes. I really enjoy that. And I really like what Haidara and Xavier Schlager bring behind them in order to just hold things down and hold down the fort. But I just think that despite how good Leipzig have been, and they have been good, uh, and they they are right up there with Borussia Dortmund in the kind of chase on the tails of Bayern Munich. I tweeted a couple of weeks ago that I wouldn't want a Marco Rosa RB Leipzig side chasing down my tail if I was yeah. Bayern Munich 
in the run-in in the Bundesliga and I was trying to manage lots of different things. But I yeah. just have a funny feeling that City probably have too much for them here. And I wonder if Pep's rotations and machinations in the Premier League resolve in him actually getting things very right in the sharp end of the Champions League season. So yeah. I, I'm going to edge this one to City. Look, I'm just looking at the stats. I was trying to look at the form, like how it actually looks right now as we record. Like this might not be valid by the time we get to this game. But as we record now, Leipzig unbeaten in 18. And Man City have suffered three defeats in the last six. That's unbelievable. Mm. Like that is unbelievable. Mm. That's the current situation of these two teams. So yeah. with that in mind, I, I am putting the upset alert is on. Upset alert. You're putting is the on. upset alert siren on. Wow. I am. Wow. I am. That's a big call. A big call. Here it is. And it's a big call to end part two of this podcast. That is all eight of the ties covered. Uh, in part three, we're going to have a quick blast through our favorites. And then, of course, there's a melon of the week and a shout out of the week. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC part three here. Jack and Dean to guide you through the end of this show. Uh, and it's time for us to talk about our Champions League favourites, Dean. Who have you got looking at this Champions League last 16 as a whole? Who are your three favourites to win the competition before we get anywhere near the start of this round of 16? Yeah, OK, so um, looking at this as we are right now to decide who I think will win the Champions League. I think that, well, I've already said earlier in, in the start of the show that I think Bayern Munich will beat PSG. I think whoever wins that game is the favourite to go on and win the Champions League. I think they win the Champions League. Either PSG or Bayern Munich win the Champions League. So that's why that game is important to watch because you're going to be seeing the eventual winners. That's my biggest feeling towards this. The rest, it is all up in the air because like, as we've said, like addressed throughout this, nobody's been that good. Um, but... My second favourites to win the Champions League are still going to be Real Madrid. I'm still going with them. They are the reigning champions. They might not have a domestic title race to worry about by the time we get to the late stages of this. Mm. Like if Barcelona carry on at the rate they are, and if Real Madrid slip up maybe twice more or lose a Clasico, they might be out of reach. So it might be that by the time you get to the semi-finals. Everything's on it for Real Madrid to go on and win this. So, yes, they've got a difficult tie on paper here in the last 16. But again, I'm saying Real Madrid. So, Bayern, my favourites. Real Madrid, my second favourites to go and win it. And my third favourites to win the Champions League. I'm just going to throw it out there and say Chelsea. Ah, you, you, it's just one of those, isn't it? It just feels it's like the unknown. History, history's it's on the, the way. It's the under, yeah. like they, they've got a tie here that is, it is winnable. They've got a squad that is on paper absolutely ridiculous. If they can gel, if they can win these one off games, they can win the Champions League. We've literally we've seen it before. So I, I'm just putting them in the bracket. I'm just going to leave them there to cover myself. Okay. All right. The good news for you is that 
my three favorites are completely different to yours. So that's oh, nice. Good. good. Um, because at number one, I'm going to go out there and put the best team in Europe at, at number one, the best team left in this competition on Napoli. And they, I look at every team in this, in this entire 16 and I go, could you stop Napoli? No. Could you stop Napoli? No. Could you stop Napoli? No. Now that doesn't mean that they won't, but on paper, Napoli are by far and away the most explosive, exciting side left in this competition. And I think that when, you, when you're looking at this and looking at the teams that are left in it, and especially looking at the fact that the big guns, a lot of them find themselves in a bit of a patchy like run of form, you have to look at the best side in the best form. And right now that is Napoli. So I can't look past them as favourites for the Champions League. I'm going to change it up slightly in that regard for number two, where I've put Man City. i got a feeling that that kind of weight of, if not now, maybe never. And if Pep <laughs> is thinking about walking away, as reports are suggesting, then maybe he wants to bow out by finally getting this one over the line. I just mm. think that with Haaland, and we've talked about the goal-scoring prowess, yes, there are elements of this Man City side that aren't as good as they have been in previous years. Fine, 100%. But if you have that number nine who can score goals from pretty much anywhere, who can make things happen on the turn of a sixpence, then you have the capacity to win any game. Uh, and I wonder if... As Pep, you know, kind of moves around in the different areas, he actually comes back to his strongest 11 in the Champions League. And when that strongest 11 is playing and it's comfortable, there are very few teams who could stand before this Man City side and, and not tremble. So I'm going to put them in at number two. Uh, and at number three, I'm going for PSG, who I think, who I shaded to win that tie uh, <laughs> against Bayern. They're in a tricky situation right now, and I completely agree that ties on a knife edge. But as if they get through it, as I, you know, have, have kind of edged, then as players come back to this, as you get more back, and, and I think if they can get back to that three at the back formation that Galtier deployed at the start of the season, then they looked very, very good, very nicely balanced, and in a really good place. So I'm going to chuck PSG in as my. You know what's going to happen, don't you? All three of them are Liverpool going to be gonna win it. Liverpool are going to win yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna, we've just picked six teams to win the Champions League and, uh, and none of them were Liverpool. So that's probably what's going to happen now. If, if we don't cover it between the two of us, mate, we are rubbish at this. We should have we got Sam rubbish. in. We should have got Sam in to do another three <laughs> and then it would have upped the odds a little bit better. Um, but, but that's where we are. And the one thing I am comfortable saying is that I don't think Club Bruges are going to win the Champions League. So, no, well, so we, can all, we can all take We've covered that well. That. According to the the bookmakers, um, Club Bruges are the least likely team to win the Champions League at two hundred to one. The favourites are actually Man City at two to one. Um, I might lay that. So. I might lay it a one to two hundred. Just put my just like, here you go. I don't think they're going to win it. One to two hundred. Just put like your Napoli. You know, my could, your Napoli's good value. Napoli are like sixth yeah. favourites, so you, you've got you've got some value in that bet. That's probably the best one that's come out of that little section. All right, well, it's a Napoli double on Scudetto in the Champions League to uh, take me home at the end of this we season. We'll have that. Right, do you want to close us off today with Melon and Shout Out of the Week? It's time for Melon of the Week. And this week's Melon of the Week is Real Betis defender Luis Felipe. Couldn't miss it, mate. This I is couldn't harsh. miss it. I'm... This is harsh because it's, cause not, it's not a red card. It's not a red card. He's got um, 
those that don't know, he was sent off in the 95th minute of um, the weekend's 4-3 defeat to Celta Vigo. It was his third red card of the se- red card of the season. He's only played 11 games. This is a record. Nobody's ever done this. Nobody's ever done this. This is Melanish of the highest order. You don't think it's a red card? No, I don't. Okay. What's your defence? Well, it's just not a red card. But he shouldn't <laughs> be sent off for this. Like, there's no even even Celta fans are coming to be like, yeah, that's harsh. Very funny that he got sent off in both games against Celta, but yeah, he definitely got not a red card. Um, it, it's really weird. He's having a really weird season because actually when he stays on the pitch, he's been one of Betis' best defenders, but he just hasn't stayed on the pitch very much. He's almost on for as many games suspended as he has for starts. Um, and Betis have a real discipline issue. It's, you know, we talked about this at the start of the, you know, before the World Cup. William Carvalho got sent off in the midweek game against Barcelona after the final whistle. And then Luis Philippe got sent off in this one. It's like Betis have this kind of real weird tendency to have a player has to get sent off in every game or we're not showing enough passion or something. It's absolutely ruining Betis's domestic season. And it's really quite strange. Um, but it, it is what it is. I, I completely agree with you in terms of the melon shout in that you can't get sent off three times in a year and, and expect not to be called an absolute melon. Fine. <laughs> but I think this red card was harsh. Yeah, no, it's fair. Um, I absolutely couldn't look beyond it, to be honest. I thought uh, Mbappe, I mean, obviously he missed a couple of pens. Uh, I think that was just about within the time frame where I could have picked it. it seems well, it, like was, a... it was on last Tuesday nights. So it was post our recording of last week's podcast, but not pre. It's too long ago. It's yeah, too long yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and who else did I contemplate? Asensio. I thought I was. I thought about Asensio for his penalty at the weekend, but. Um, no, it was, nothing was coming close uh, to this. Right, it's time for shout out of the week. And what I've got to say at the start of this is thank you. Thank you to everybody that has taken up the challenge of writing it good. It good and giving us the five I really stars liked we the, wanted. It, it real good. That was my that was my favorite one. I think of all the reviews that came in this week. I think I saw it very good as well. Um, so yeah, thank you. There was quite a lot of those, so I can't go through them all. Um, there was also a really funny one from Ocean Sun, uh, a five-star review called Changed My Life. Um, if you go on to Apple Podcasts, you, you can read about how, how the pod has changed his life. Bit tongue-in-cheek, but I liked it a lot. But this week's shout-out of the week goes to Dean Jones Fan Club. Um, oh, what, is... what a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> really liked this one. Okay, so it's a Ranks FC poem. It's five stars. It says, A podcast so sublime, it deserves a verse and rhyme. To truly capture its beauty, I'll engage in crude poetry. Jack is a wizard, soccer knowledge like Dumbledore. About third division Irish football, nobody knows more. Dean is a good lad, a transfer guru to boot. He's also a dad, and his weekly Melon Award is a hoot. Sam really knows how to rank. He's got a strategist's mind, a true grandmaster at work. His thoughts could save your team from a bind. I hope the lads like this poem. It's really just an ode to three great footballing minds and their podcast, That's the Goat. I love oh, it. Nice. I love it. Very good. I love That's it. Excellent. 
It was really, very, really good. very good. Apart from the bit about Sam knowing how to rank and really putting me in a bit of a bind halfway through with a tongue twister that could have gone horribly wrong. Um, yeah. it, it was it was really it comes good. It the stuff, territory so. of this podcast name, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's good uh people please keep them coming in we've definitely like boosted the rankings since um since this started like we're getting them in, in a weekly basis now something we put as i said before zero effort into and now we're doing it we're getting a, a little fun segment out of um dean jones fan club whoever you are all i know is you live in the usa thank you for that um keep them coming in people poems funny things it good whatever you want just give us the five stars. Thank you. Thank you very much to everyone who submitted them. They really do help us to grow and to reach new audiences. But with that, this has been a long podcast. I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. Thank you so much for listening to Ranks FC today. We hope you've enjoyed our walk through the Champions League round of 16. Slightly ahead of time, but such is the scheduling of this podcast that it felt like we had no other choice than to get it into the mixer early on and try and get the best out of what we could find from Champions League round of 16. We will see you all next week. Take it easy, gang. Peace.